0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica, the smoke funneling out of the back of the car, Stanfield, drives by. It's our ZMAX Circle K four-wide Charlotte Nationals episode, and it's Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon. And it's Tripp Tatum for the first time in his career, 370 flat, 330 miles an hour we're talking Pro Mod, Pro Stock Bike, Pro Stock, Funny Car, and Top Fuel as we get ready to go four wide again. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on it by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. We are back this week with our pre Charlotte episode. It is the second of our two back to back four wide drag races. And of course, we know how big Las Vegas was. Hopefully, you listened to the last show. It was, uh, it kind of set the internet on fire for good reason. Sean Langdon was great. Mandy Bujinga was great, taking us inside a couple of the season's premier staging battles and really to the uh, seasons premiere moments. And this Charlotte weekend is going to be very interesting. To start with, uh this is going to be a pre-race weekend or pre-race week style show, so I'm going to have Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna on to talk about a bunch of different things. We're going to hit on of course the news about Bamdemir, uh, going to hit on the fact that this weekend looks like it might be kind of a soupy mess down there in Charlotte. We're going to talk about a bunch of different topics as they pertain to this race and this 2023 season. Uh, This is an interesting week for me personally, so what we have going on, if you're watching this podcast rather than simply listening to it, uh, you may see a wardrobe change or two over the course of this show. Reason being is it's Tuesday morning before the race. I am going to blast down to Charlotte today, actually, and participate in an NHRA versus NASCAR curling contest uh this will be covered on nascar race hub you'll be able to watch it on fs1 you'll also i'm sure see snippets of it uh in our show along with uh social media posts and uh this is going to be very interesting so it's myself uh, justin ashley jr todd and sean langdon are the nhra team and the nascar team is ty gibbs bubba wallace john Hunter nemacek and tyler reddick so um this is going to be fun. We are going to the, uh there's a Charlotte Curling Center apparently. Charlotte is a, apparently a big curling community. And we're all going to learn how to do this at the same time uh, on Tuesday evening and have a bunch of fun. Now, on Thursday evening at the racetrack, it is planned to be NASCAR night at the dragway. And they actually promoted this uh, on the, the race broadcast from Talladega last week. Hopefully, the weather holds for us, but uh, that'll be me and Michael Waltrip there. But a multitude of NHRA versus NASCAR match races are set up and the racers will be in kind of their specified manufacturer's cars. So if you're a Toyota NASCAR racer, you're going to be driving a Toyota. If you're a Ford NASCAR racer, you're in a Ford. Same for the NHRA side. Uh, That plans to be great. It also uh, has an element where people that have a um, NASCAR hard card, if they're like people that are engineers or fabricators for the teams have hot rods, they can come out and have some fun on Thursday night at the Drag Strip. That will also be shot and covered for both our NHRA shows, NASCAR Race Hub, and everything else. So it is a great week, uh, kind of a full-court press-style week at this event, and uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, I do think we're going to be absolutely battling the uh, elements. It does appear that way, but it does look like we're going to be... Uh, hopefully out of it, let's call it, by uh, Saturday is going to be a great day, typically our biggest day with the crowd. It looks like it's going to be the best weather day. And then Sunday, whatever happens, is supposed to be happening early in the day. And one of the good things about the four wide nationals in Charlotte in terms of maybe this weather situation is the fact that uh, we typically don't start until noontime. And so that gives us a little more window. Uh, obviously, there's a three-round rather than a four-round race because it's four wide, so there's a bunch of different elements happening there. So that's kind of the setup for this week. Um, you know, coming off of last week's show, before I introduced Kevin and Tony here, uh, it was great to hear all the people that listened to that show and learned something, took something away from it, took a little took a little extra depth out of it, took some color out of it, took some understanding of who a guy named Manny Bujinga is. A lot of people don't know Manny. He's new to the NHRA scene. I think this was a, a big introduction for him. Um, Sean's uh, honest recounting of everything that happened was given kudos by everybody that I heard, watched the show. They loved how deep into the story he went, what he talked about, and certainly relating that idea of having to go meet Connie Caletta after all this happened and, and kind of say his piece. So all that was great. Um, a big thanks and a big surprise this week. Uh, there was a national dragster, uh, issue came out and in that issue was kind of a list of, uh, a couple of dozen people to watch in the sport of drag racing. And I had no idea that I was going to be on it. So, um, that was a happy surprise. Uh, it's a pretty humbling and cool thing. Certainly love the sport and love everything about it. Love all the stuff I'm able to do inside of it. Uh, whether that's curling or making a podcast or of course, broadcasting the races, Um, I truly love drag racing and and I'm um, humbled to be on the list with so many other great people who I respect and so many other great people from in and around the sport and not all just drivers. There's a lot of great people in there that have different roles in the sport that were recognized. So all of that is great. Um, It's been a, uh, it's been a whirlwind, I guess to say between races, we've got a bunch of stuff done that you'll be seeing on our shows and um, it's going to be fantastic and I guess there's not a lot for me to add from this point forward. So I'm going to get right into our guests and I'm going to introduce Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna when we come back from this break here on the NHRA Insider Podcast. And remember, when we come back, if you're watching this thing on the internet as opposed to simply listening to it, I may be all dolled up. Or maybe I won't be. Stick around and find out. Don't go anywhere. All right. We are back with this episode of the NHRA Insider pre 4 Wide Nationals in Charlotte. I got Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon. Tony, how you doing, man?
1: Good morning. A little uh, calm, little calm before and after the
0: storm. Brian, <laughs> Kevin, how are you, man?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, Tony is essentially my neighbor, and a uh, little damp here in Indy, and. Uh We'll see. Hoping for the best for Charlotte
0: this week. It's going to make things dicey, and I want to get into that in a few minutes. But the first topic I want to touch on with you guys is uh, obviously the news of Bandemir was uh, was crummy that we got uh, late last week. And it's still a, a hot topic for a lot of people in the sport. And, you know, it's one of those things that's not wholly unexpected. You kind of knew it was going to happen at some point. It just sucks that it's happening this year. And, you know, Tony, your guy who's raced at that place for years and years, It is it is really unique in the world in terms of the sport of drag racing
1: it is it always has been uh, not without its challenges for the racers you know I, I know that uh, there was always additional costs that went with racing up there yeah. but you know a lot of a lot of good memories a lot of great memories and you know I think the older I get the more I, and more and more I realize that you, you try not to get attached to these things and this is no big surprise I think that uh, I started racing in Denver in fact I I started racing in Denver in the early '90s when I was driving for John Mitchell in an alcohol car. So I have very, very fond memories. Uh, my first round win in an alcohol dragster was in Band at Bandermere against um, Boggs, the Boggs brothers. Oh no that, way! With that little, yeah, with the altered. And uh, never forget one of the highlights of my career then was uh, beating Blaine Johnson in the second round and getting to the semifinals. And I hate to tell you how I beat him. He broke a, he broke an axle, (laughs) (laughs) but it didn't matter. I I beat uh, the great Blaine Johnson. And you know, one of my uh, fondest memories was in 99, I I remember winning the race. I either beat caps or Baysmore, but that was the weekend. I think Columbine happened earlier in the year, you know, the shooting, Uh, The horrible shooting there, and I I do recall they had some of the some of the students, some of the survivors, and I remember, you know, you in the staging lanes, you go down the grade, and of course you line up right underneath the tunnel, and that was, you know, had a very distinct look and a very distinct feel and i i would never i know a lot of drivers uh have a a routine you know they're high five and i would never do that i was very close with uh with my team as a hired driver um as an owner but i just had a different routine i wanted to put my helmet on in the tow vehicle but i'll never forget it, it was always a little bunched up there there was some people that would gather to watch the final round i remember getting my helmet on in the tow vehicle and i stepped out and I would never really look up. I would just keep my head down, and I would walk towards the car. And I would never go back and check my parachutes. I always did that before. But I, when I stepped out of the tow vehicle, there was um, there was a kid w- on crutches, and that was one of the you know one of the Columbine survivors and students. And I just remember giving him a hug. I never looked up. I just gave him a hug before I got yeah. in the car. And it was always special to me because I, I won the race, but I'll never forget that moment. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever find out which which one of those students it was. But uh, no big surprise, because every year that we went to Vandermeer, we saw more and more housing built uh, on those yeah. mountains. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back 20, 25 years, it was nothing. And, and uh, you know, every year that we would go there... I'm sure I wasn't the only one that would wonder how long is it going to be till the value of this property becomes more than what, you know, the Bandamers can make racing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Kevin, kind of the same story. I mean, it's your, your history up there too. You've been there for going there for decades and you know, it's tough. It's, it's one of those situations where I, I, you want to be mad, right? You want to be mad and I can't be mad at the Bandamere family. I don't know how you can be.
2: No, you know, I mean, Tony just said not to get too attached to things, but, but it's, it's difficult not to, especially when you think about what a unique experience it is. Um, even going up there, you know, as a spectator or, you know, as an event worker, it, uh, the the track is is so much different than really anything else uh, that, that we do. You know, Bristol's similar, you both have the mountains, but, but they're very different mountains. Um, and you know it it will be hard uh, actually probably impossible to duplicate that you know there is hope that the Vandermeer family or somebody else comes in you know there's some discussion about finding a new site maybe closer to the airport but uh, that's flat land you know that that's not the the Vandermeer speedway that we all know um you know the the sad thing i i wish there had been well i mean obviously i wish the track had five more years left or ten more but th- there's been so little notice. Uh, I think a lot of people have said to themselves, you know, Bandamere is on my bucket list of places I'd like to visit. And now, because you really only got a couple months, um, you know, they may not get a chance to do it. I-, I wish people had more of a chance. But I also think the lesson there is, you know, if there are tracks you want to visit, if there are yeah. experiences, sport that you're looking to do, you know, don't hesitate. No- nothing's promised beyond today. And, um, you know go, go do the fun things and experience uh, all that the sport has to offer
0: you know people are freaking out and and you know the fan base is freaking out rightfully to a degree it's like oh man these tracks are closing and this and that and the only solace I guess I'd give people that are listening is that there are plenty of racetracks that want us to show up there and my understanding is we're not going to shrink the schedule next year my understanding is a, a new venue will be uh, added and certainly this is not a replacement for Bandamere because as we've just heard from both Tony and Kevin, there is no replacing that place, Um, but there will be uh, at least one new venue. My understanding on the schedule for next year to maintain the event, the number of events. And to me, it's a good thing that there are that many racetracks out there that are picking up the phone calling saying, how can we get you here? How can we make this work? And, you know, Kevin, if we can stay with you for a second, this is one of those moments, I think, in our sport where we're going to see some evolution maybe in in what events look like. And and not overall, but in these in these situations, there are a lot of good, smaller racetracks out there that maybe can't handle uh, a Gainesville size event. Maybe they can't handle a whatever size event, but there's a lot of good racetracks out there that could handle some version of a national event. I think we're going to start to maybe see that um, show itself next year.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Maybe it's time to get creative. I'm not sure exactly what that smaller event looks like. You know, there's a couple of events now that don't feature Pro Stock or Pro Stock Motorcycle. They don't have Pro Mod. Um, Would you ever consider splitting up the Nitro classes and, and just having an event with just maybe Top Fuel, Pro Stock Motorcycle and Pro Mod? To, to save the track that's that extra purse money that might be the difference between keeping the event profitable you know i, I think all options like that are on the table uh, you know you, you look at an event you know like richmond that, that just for a number of reasons yeah. didn't quite make it as a national event venue but we all know you know that, that that's a fantastic track oh it is. that that can draw a crowd so somewhere in the middle there's a compromise that will allow uh, yeah so some of these you know, not mega venues to, to host an event that's successful um, for everyone. And, and I think that's probably the direction the sport needs to go. Now, now, if you're looking for a silver lining, you know, I personally, am not aware of another national event track uh, that, that's in danger of, of going under anytime soon. You know, there's always challenges with encroachment and environmental issues and things like that. But I really hope, you know, we've, we've taken a pretty good hit here the last four or five years. Hopefully this is the end of it. And I also still have hope that, uh, you know, places like, I mean, it, it seems like an absolute no-brainer to have a drag strip at Circuit of the Americas in Austin. Um, yes. Uh, why that happened yet with Houston gone? Uh, I mean, I realize that I'm spending somebody else's millions, but
0: <laughs> right.
2: it, seems, it, it seems to me like, you know, you've got a world-class facility there that is just begging for an NHRA drag race.
0: And and listen, one last point I'll put on this before we before we move ahead is that, you know, there's one track this year that uh that uh as we get further away from the event we had at, it seems a, a better and better chance that it was not our last visit, to. I'll just leave that as it is. But, you know, um, not not all of this stuff is chipped into stone yet. So, you know, there was a story that was published last week about, you know, about NHRA and the racetracks, and it was factually incorrect on a whole load of topics. It made assumptions that were completely wrong. And, frankly, I think the guy that wrote it has an ax to grind. So I, I know that a lot of <laughs> Yeah,
2: it, it's not, not not even worth mentioning here. It's absolute drivel.
0: Yeah, it was very yeah, and, it and was I,
1: all the, the all the negativity comes out, you know, all the all the critics and all the all the writers that may have an axe to grind, yet they will be at the next race and they will be <laughs> right. in someone's pit or having helping themselves to any race hospitality never fails. And my only pushback, Kevin, is that if you want to put people in the stands you want funny cars, you want top-field dragsters. They are the show. They are what what put people in the stands. Uh, you know, hey, by all means, uh, sportsmen, pro-stock, pro-stock bike, and every level and every layer of sportsmen. Um, but I, I, for one, wouldn't, wouldn't vote to see those two separated because uh, if you go back to the history of this sport and how it's grown and how it's evolved, um, there's there's no question, and I don't think anyone is going to argue that there are top field dragsters, there are nitro funny cars. They are the the core. They may not be the heart yeah. of of the show because you know you need all those layers. There are pro stock fans, bikes. I've become a massive fan of the motorcycle class, and and I wasn't necessarily before I started. Uh, I started you know playing my role on the show. But um, but that's my only comment there without question. It's going to be hard to find right. a big venue like that. But, um, you know, some of the smaller venues, uh, hey, bring funny cars, bring top field
2: dragsters, uh, they won't let you down. Well, then you gotta figure out another way to make the finances work. And I'm not sure what that is. You know, eight car fields might be a thing, but that's hard to do when our car counts are actually growing, not shrinking. So I'm not 100% sure what the, uh, what the solution there is. But, but certainly there's a way to make these events fit into some of these venues.
0: And look, the last thing I'd say to that point, Kevin, before we move on, is is that, you know, there was a, a story that came out a lot, last couple of weeks, um, interview with Glenn Cromwell, talking about, you know, the TV deal and and what the position we're in right now and, and how we have a great relationship with Fox and, and what the, you know, what the future potential of that could be and honestly that's the that's the the magic bullet to a degree would be that uh, that scenario that glenn talked about in that interview where the tv deal you know turns into certainly uh something not of the magnitude of of nascar per se but of that model where the racetracks are are the the burden if you will a lot of the burden comes off them and and when that happens it really does kind of change the game but uh, we will we will keep monitoring that situation and, and look ahead to, to go forward and yeah last thing uh, if, if you're looking to go to Bandemir I'd buy a ticket today because I can guarantee you there will not be a single seat in that place for the entire weekend as as that fan base as rabid as it is and as they turn out strong every year will be uh, basically climbing the fences to get in there and you know Tony you mentioned the pro stock motorcycle class and I want to go there next this really is when we get to uh, this race this weekend in Charlotte it really is almost a reintroduction to that class we saw him in Gainesville. We haven't seen him since. And obviously in Gainesville we got the very solid first impressions out of Chase Van Zant. We got an all-star first impression out of Gage Herrera. And we have seen one Pro Stock motorcycle racer named Joey Gladstone go through a physical transformation to get ready for this race. So who do you think's probably done the best job in this in this interim we've had between races to come in looking the best?
1: Well, it's definitely Joey. I mean with the uh, GQ uh, you know haircut <laughs> He's looking at Chase Van Zandt. He's looking at Gage Herrera. These are two young drivers, two young riders that are well-spoken, they're clean-cut, and, you know, it's time to to raise the bar, guys, Uh, and that applies not just to Joey, but, you know, Steve Johnson, he's got the machine. It's not as consistent, but these two riders right here, you don't have one addition this year. You have two of them that everyone is going to have to contend with, so it's time to clean up your act. It's time to, uh, to work on your, you know, your trade. And I I think really, I've said it before. And I say it again, I think Matt Smith is, is really the one that is going to have to step up. I anticipate him stepping up and mixing it up. But, um, you know, I think we talk so much about it and top fuel, the level of competition. I think we're going to see that in pro stock motorcycle. I think it's going to be very, very hard to, to beat Vance and Hines. Um, Chase Van Zandt is as impressive, as solid as they looked. You know, Gage Herrera was a couple of steps ahead, and there's I think there's only one rider that can compete with them on a consistent basis, and that's Matt Smith. Um, I, I've heard that he's he's updated his machine to the new bodywork. It'll be interesting to see how much longer or how quickly he can get up and running to compete with him. Because the question isn't whether or not
2: he can. Yes, he can. The question is is when. Kevin. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with all that. You're talking about a four-wide event held in the state of North Carolina. How do you pick anyone other than Matt Smith? <laughs> that That is right in his wheelhouse. Uh, he historically does very well at those races. And, you know, as we've seen during his career, uh, Matt's ability to adapt to things, such as the new bodywork. he also has the new billet cases. So, so essentially, he has the exact same equipment uh, that the Vance and Hines team does I, I tend to think he he may not be quicker than Gage Herrera this weekend, but I think he's probably going to be his equal. And, I, I mean, I'd be tempted to pick Gage just because he was so impressive in Gainesville, but he doesn't really have any experience in the four-wide format. And, you know, as we know, that, that, that can be a, a big jigsaw puzzle. So uh, I think when you take all of that into account, you got to give at least the slim edge um, to, to Matt Smith. And I also hear Jerry Savoie coming back this week. Yes, he is. And you know, we've seen how good the bikes out of that camp are. Um, and, and Jerry, you know, he rarely goes a year without sneaking in a win or two. But, um, so, you know, I, I like him as kind of a. a I wouldn't even call him a dark horse, but but as a as a contender and um, you know, it's the beauty. It's almost like pro stock car. You've probably got six or eight bikes now that legitimately could get the job done on Sunday.
0: And look, Steve Johnson's had success in Charlotte as well. His bike's typically his bike typically tends to run well there and it is kind of lost in that whole mix when I was putting together my notes and stuff for this weekend. You know, he was the number two qualifier in, in Gainesville. And he went red against Joey Gladstone, who was number 15, of course, in the first round. And it's like, if Steve can harness that, and and again, we've watched him be more serious in his approach on this thing for the last several seasons now. And, you know, he flirted with that championship before it kind of came apart on him in the countdown a couple of years ago. But, Tony, you know, is Steve Johnson a guy that we that we need to give more credit to is Steve Johnson, a guy who certainly performance wise has shown over the last few seasons, he can do it, but it is that consistency level that has been his problem. And it's, I would or almost argue more mental consistency than mechanical.
1: Yeah. I think the toughest thing for the competition when it relates to, uh, as it relates to Steve Johnson is, is they, I mean, you have to know that he can, he can compete with, uh, with gauge and with Matt Smith anytime, any day. The the problem is you just don't know when he's going to show up and do it. Yeah, which guy um, is showing have, up? Yeah, he seems to have a primary engine that that he tests and tune tunes and and works well, and that is the is the one that can compete. And and when you see damage to that engine, and he he changes uh, he switches engines, that's when he goes back to needing some time to to maybe yeah. test R and D to, to fine tune that. Um, you know, but I think that the challenge for Steve is a lot like the same challenge for Ryan Aylor, for Eddie Craywick, for for Gianna, uh, for Angie Smith. Y- you have to be able to compete, not just with the machine. You have to be able to compete on the starting line. And that's something I think is going to be so tough. I mean, these are these are the equivalent of an Austin Proc, uh, Justin yeah. Ashley that we have in Pro Stock Motorcycles. So it's one thing to have to compete with their performance. Now you got to double up and compete with them on the racetrack and, and their talent there. So, um, you know, I wish them luck, but you know, they will chew you up and spit you out unless you can do both, compete with them in both both areas.
0: And Kevin Giannis Salinas had a had really, yes, she's, she won Pomona a few years ago. I'm not discounting that. But the race she had in Gainesville to start her season, I think almost inarguably, is the best ridden race she's ever had. We look at how consistent she was in the starting line. We look at the performance of the motorcycle, her control of the motorcycle. This is the best she has, in my opinion, ever looked on one of those bikes.
2: Oh, w- without a doubt. And if there's one person who didn't need this six week break, yeah. it was probably her. Nice. Uh, <laughs> right. Would have just loved to, uh, you know, ride that bike every week just to continue the momentum that she started in Gainesville. Um, you know, obviously Matt Smith has done wonders working with her. Um, not not just technique, but I think you know the, the equal confidence. Yeah, to, to know that that she can do this and do it well, um, and and hopefully we see more of that um, here in Charlotte. And and you know, back back to the Steve Johnson thing. You know, I'm not sure if he's yet got uh, the, the billet cases that, that are this year, but from what I'm told, that's not necessarily going to make the bikes faster, but it is going to be a huge help as far as maintenance, where the bikes are going to need crankshafts less often. Um, so, you know, a guy like Steve whose fortunes tend to come and go, um, you know, when when things go wrong mechanically, he's not as quick to get back up to speed. This is probably something long-term that would help a program like his, where you know you don't have a trailer full of spares, um, at this point you, you probably you know there's a little more money as an initial investment, but in the long run um, you're going to save some money with this new technology, and I think that is also what has fueled. Uh, a lot of the growth we've seen in the class this year.
0: Well, one of the things Andrew Hines brought up a few weeks ago in this show was that uh, transmission. If you had a problem with the transmission in the old cases, it was like an hour and a half for whatever job for a great team to do it and do it properly. They they engineered these cases so you can basically separate those two units, the transmission from the, the engine itself, uh, in like 15 minutes. And so... To your point, Kevin, even that something like that even is a huge boon to a guy like Steve Johnson who does not have the physical manpower resources that some of these teams have. So if you can save that guy, I mean, it's one thing to save Vance and Hines an hour and change and work, but it's a whole other thing to save Steve Johnson an hour and a half because Steve is going to use all that extra time he has and he probably needs it versus uh, a situation where he might be thrown into a thrash and comes up with a bike that isn't going to perform either at all or to the level it needs to.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, the engine cases that the pro-stock bike teams had been using are 1982 Suzuki yeah. GS cases. 1982, <laughs> that was a long time ago. And you've heard stories about uh, teams scouring junkyards to find them, yeah. and uh, basically the drag racers have broken them all, so, so they're they're really hard to find. Um, so, so having this billet case is probably a move that, it is long overdue, and it's going to do a lot to assure the long-term future of the class.
0: You know, Tony, we yeah, have just go ahead. I'm sorry, just just to give you know the listeners an idea: billet
1: versus cast. You know, the, and the nitro uh, racers went through this with the supercharger. The cast case works; it'll it, it then produced uh, about as much boost as the billet case. The billet case, however, didn't move as much; it it stayed true which uh, you're talking about tolerances that seal the supercharge of the rotor to the, to the case itself. So uh, you would typically maybe get one, two runs tops out of a cast case. The billet case, however, you'd, you could get four or five. A lot of teams don't put that many on, but, uh, but that's the biggest difference. It just stays true. It, it holds up to temperatures that the bikes and the nitro cars see. So it's, it's, it's by far a better material and it's, you know, a little more expensive, but they're going to be rummaging through the trash bins of Vance and Hines (laughs) versus the junkyards now.
0: Yeah, we talk about staying true, Tony. We talk about this consistency and, and performance. I want to talk about Pro Stock Car now. We have twenty-three pro stockers on the entry sheet this weekend, which is that's like an indies type number for the last several years. We typically see 17, 18, 19 of these things, but well, we got twenty-three pro stocks coming. And an additional one of these cars, or one of the twenty-three, is David Quadra, who is now becomes the fourth member of the Quadra family to be racing pro stock simultaneously. Highly impressive. But I want to go back to the team that he's on. The, these guys—they've looked okay. Uh, the elite cars are not, you know, t- too far out of the pace. But when I look at the points, I see three KB Titan cars and a lot of elite cars behind them. They're adding another car to what seems to be an already stretched workforce.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's two ways you can look at it. It's either going to help. It's going to help acquire more data, or you know, it could impede them if they're going to try to spread themselves thin. I don't think that the latter is going to. Is going to uh, affect them in a bad way. I, I think that uh, Richard Freeman understands that uh, he understands business, and you have to have manpower and talent uh, and a talented crew to support these teams. So I'm sure he's not going to shortchange any of his customers, but. You know when you look at uh, kb or rather titan versus elite uh, you know you have mcgay who's been looking very strong he did his homework over the off season but uh you look at troy jr's car i mean he's second to the points uh, he's able to compete with dallas glenn so i don't think it's a runaway I, it, elite seems to be having their problems of course the biggest surprise is erica and i don't know what has changed there but um you know she's doesn't seem to be in sync with the car um and we've seen that happen. I mean, we've seen that happen with drivers. We see it in the NFL and hockey, the NBA. I've always wondered. You know, I'll, I'll I'll use NBA as an example. We can see a team, a, a talented player, hot one night. He's going to make uh, 12 3 three-point shots, and a couple nights later, he goes cold. And we can we've seen that pattern with drivers. So it's not an easy thing to to maintain. Uh, that level of performance as a driver consistently week in week out when you're in a groove it's it's easier but when that car is not performing you start to try to assume more of that responsibility as a driver and and it doesn't work so whatever the problems with Erica uh, have been you know we're waiting for that one race for that one magic number and and uh, we just haven't seen it which is a pretty big surprise but you know, I think Dallas Glenn, he's
0: the he's the talk of pro stock right now. Well, he absolutely is. And, and you know, Kevin, when we we talk about Erica right now, which I think we should, this is a, a place she hasn't been this deep in the points after four races uh, since it, like 2010. You know, that number keeps stretching. We go back to the 2016 season, as disappointing as that was, she was still a top 10 racer after four events we got to go way back to the, not necessarily the very beginnings of her career, but a long way back into it to get to this point. And it it speaks more to me about the level of competition than it does anything else because she's a couple of hundreds off, and right now in this world of pro stock, a couple of hundreds off lands you like 13th on the point sheet.
2: Yeah, it it does, but I, I am not yet to the point of being overly concerned. I think, you know, I mentioned this the last time we were on the show, that if that car starts for the first round in Gainesville, there's every reason to think she goes to the semis, the final, maybe even wins the race. And we're not having this discussion. Um, so th- that just shows you kind of the fickle nature of pro stock where yes, you know, little things like that can make a big difference. Um, you know, thousands of a second can make a big difference. You know, you, you've got a couple guys out there that have lost some super close races that you think, wow, what's wrong. R- really you just need to have a little luck on your side. And you'd be looking at the start of the season in a totally different light. Um, you know. Th- that being said, the be KB Titan cars are clearly better than they were at the end of last year. Um, as Tony said, it looks like the McGee team is better. Um, you've got now more cars. You know. It'll be interesting to see how Elite operates now with uh, with nine pro stock cars. Um, I I think we would all love to see uh, the four Quadra cars in in one quad.
0: Yeah, seriously.
2: Uh, You know, I don't don't know that that's possible, but uh, I'm sure Fernando Sr. would love to see that. Um, But, uh, you know, back to the Charlotte race, 23 cars on the entry list. There's not enough parking spots on Sunday for all of them. That means guaranteed a good car is going home. Well, and and, looked,
0: and and we're adding, you know, Kenny Delco is going to be back this week for the first time uh, in a long time. And he was planning on running in, in Vegas, driving uh, Pruszynski's car, apparently. But the Pruszynski's car was broken, so that didn't come out. And while Delco is not necessarily a guy we would pin as a race winner, he qualifies. And so the, the, I think we we got to look at this almost in two phases, whereas, you know, I'm not necessarily pinning uh, Kenny Delco as, uh, as winning the four wide nationals this weekend, but... With the equivalent Frank Iaconio engine that that the Quadra guys run, that's that's horsepower that we haven't had with him this year. So that displaces another good car, and we know what Fernando Senior's problems have been. That's that car's gone maybe almost ten runs now without making it past the tree, without shaking the tires, and so. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of names that stand out. Larry Morgan's going to be there this weekend. I don't know if Larry Morgan has the power to qualify. Shane Tucker is going to be there this weekend. Those guys have not yet qualified for a race despite their best efforts this season. So there's a couple of names on there you go, well, I'm not sure I'm I'm penciling them in. But when I do start to pencil in the people that I think should qualify, Tony, I come up with about 19 cars. So this may be the first race in a very long time we see a a high-level or legitimate high-level car not make the cut.
1: Yeah, and it seems that we're more than likely going to see the same semifinalists that that we expect. Um, yeah. You know, the question is, is you know, these these quadras, um, they're talented, they're good, and when they can squeeze a, another hundredth or two hundredths of a second out of their car, um, not necessarily in qualifying, but on Sunday when they're able to do that, we're going to start seeing them in the late rounds and. You know, like you said, when, when are we going to see Fernando? all eyes are really on him in qualifying yeah. because, you know, we want to see the first time he makes it past 200 feet. Um, not only are we going to celebrate, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's going to be a celebration <laughs> on the starting line. But, um, you know, you look at Erica, and, I. you know, Kevin mentioned uh, Gainesville, and she qualified second, she qualified sixth, she qualified tenth. So she just seems – they seem to be going, you know, backwards. But, you know, we're only – you know, we're four, four, five races in, and um, I think we all fully expect to see her uh, turn it around. But when she does, when they do, you've got you're going to have a couple of guys to contend with. And um, you know, with the Titan team, with the Titan KB team, it seems to be Dallas. It's a it's equally the same surprise as Erica is Greg Anderson. Uh, Kyle Koleski seems to have a good car, just. You know, seems to have his challenges on the starting line. He's hot and cold. Sometimes he's good, and you know the red lights. He's he's really got to collect it and get it back together because that is a competitive car. And um, you know, you only have so much time to position yourself uh, before we get into hot summer races and get closer to that countdown
0: last name I want to throw at both you guys before we move on to the next topic is Matt Hartford Hartford has mathematically has the best pro stock car in the class right now his his average Sunday elapsed time of 656 uh, and change is actually a hundredth better than what we see the average elapsed time out of Dallas Glen and I think Las Vegas was absolutely Hartford's race to lose agree or disagree Kevin yeah
2: absolutely agree. And, and the thing to like about Matt Hartford is he seems absolutely fearless. I, I don't think there's a single driver in the class that intimidates him at all. Uh, in, in fact, he, he's the guy that seems to welcome a challenge like racing Erica, like yep. racing Gallant. plan. Um, it, 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 brings out the best in him. He's a guy, you know, I, I know where I, I believe staging is, is on the agenda for today. Um, He's a guy that seems to have maybe the best handle on uh, when to play games, when not to play games, how to defend against somebody else playing games. Um, he's a really hard guy to rattle, and when you give him enough race car, he's pretty much going to do the rest.
0: Yeah, his the problem for him was that seventy seven reaction time he had, and that and that was you know something I'm sure, like you said, he's a good racer, so you 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 uh, it hurts for the moment. You try to work your way past it, and not dwell on it. But Tony, that was. He was on a good road. He was on a really good road in Vegas. Puts on the yellow hat, gets the whole thing going on, and then uh, and then the bottom came out for him on the starting line.
1: It was not only a good road; it was the best of roads. <laughs> and you know, my my only my only critique about Matt is, you know, it wasn't the four wide. You can't say, well, it was the four wide that you know that uh, bamboozled him. Uh, that is the case with a lot of drivers. But you know, Matt Harford, as good as he is, as game as he is he has a pattern he has a tendency to be good and then and then just kind of you know be okay and as we all know okay is not good enough in pro stock and you know makes you wonder i I know in the workplace um and even in professional sports you know when a when a player when a driver when a writer uh, you name it when somebody someone in the workplace when when they're not you know, when they're not as good as they could be, or you expect them to be. And when you see flashes, uh, the, the, tendency is always to look at, you know, what do they do? What do they do the night before? I've got a feeling that, and I'm not, I'm not going to single out Matt Hartford because I, I was there, uh, I stayed, I had a few late nights, but it was never drinking. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know if Matt drinks, but I just know that you have to go back to the seriousness of a racer And, and I, I just have a feeling that some of these drivers, I'm going to use Dallas Glenn because he's, he's pretty much the hottest driver right now in pro stock. I've got a feeling that this guy is all business. And, and I have a feeling that, you know, Gator or maybe this Chase Vance, I have a feeling that these young guys are doing what it takes. I think they're getting their rest. I don't know that they're partiers. Um, but you know, that's, that's really the only thing you can go back to. I mean, you can always blame it on the car. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying or singling out Matt Hartford. It just makes me wonder as an analyst, when I see the performance of drivers and I see the performance of the car and I see the beauty of those two coming together and, and it's, it's really an unstoppable force. But when I, when I see flashes, it makes me wonder, what, what are the tendencies? What are the habits? What do they do at night? What are they doing to prepare themselves? And uh, that'd be pretty interesting to, you know, to follow some of these stories um, you know, as we see it play out on the racetrack.
0: You know, probably the the most interesting story we've been following since Vegas was the subject of this show last week, which was the second round of top fuel with Sean Langdon. It was one of the more dramatic starting line moments I think we've seen in a few years in, in NHRA drag racing. And you know Sean was Sean was great. He came on this show, and if you haven't listened to it yet, please go listen to it. But he really went through the whole scenario, went through his logic, went through the fact that big me a culpa, he knows he screwed up, he's blaming nobody else. He went up there with a plan and didn't quite execute the plan. Uh, to the degree he wanted, but Kevin, let's get into this whole staging conversation because this is this is some next level stuff for us. It, it is because we, you know, so often we just hear that well, racing my own race, doing my own thing, blah blah blah. Well, clearly that's not the case, right? I mean, this was this was very very interesting, kind of next level, dramatic, cool inside drag racing.
2: Yeah, and as each class gets more competitive, which right now all four pro eliminators. Are, are really, I don't know if I'd say an all time high, but certainly probably the best they've been in five years. Uh, you have to figure out a way to get the job done. And that usually means doing something on the starting line. And if you go up there and you're a couple hundreds behind your opponent, what do you have to lose? Um, I, I mean, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long for, for, for people to realize that, that, you know, y- you might feel like you know you're being a good sport and and you're the most gentlemanly driver out there but there's a time when you have to put that aside and i i think you know this is probably going to be the way going forward where if you need to do something to steal around you do it it's, it's really that simple tony i
0: agree
1: i i you know one thing that i can't i can't understand and, and i i went back to you know to my history of of top fuel racers you know i i'll go as far back as uh, there was a young talent named doug curhulis and and i watched him uh when i would go cruz and i would go to orange county we'd go to irwindale and and doug curhulis was a young talent he was quick uh you know rob bruins uh gary beck show them these were drivers that were, were not just good drivers, but they were quick and they had a reputation of being quick. You weren't going to get much. You weren't going to steal too many races on the starting line. And then you had your Gary Ormsby era and Joe Amato and, and Kenny Bernstein. Kenny Bernstein was, this guy was vicious on the starting line. And I remember when I started racing top fuel, he was the guy to beat. Uh, he was not only the guy to beat on the track, but uh, you know, of course, National Drag they always kept track of the driver reaction times. And that was something that the drivers... You know, could you really shoot for that? You know, if I was an NBA player, I want a high a, a shooting percentage. If I was a a running back, I want I want yards per carry. So for a driver, the driver is looking at that reaction time. There's a, some other responsibilities that come with that position, but I, I just I went back to the reaction time to the quick drive because I think this is this all goes hand in hand. I just don't understand the you know I, I appreciate the fact that Sean Langdon owned it. Rather, yeah. Rather, maybe didn't own it, but he apologized to everyone. I, I, I that's a little much for me. An, well, an apology, I just don't. I've never heard of apologizing to every team. See, teams understand that, and and I think they almost expect it. And the only thing that Sean Langdon did was he got timed out. He made them wait. Um, so I think there's a couple. I have a couple of comments. My first comment is, okay, he. Accepted the responsibility. He understood it. We all understood it. He got timed out. I think he miscalculated. But there was, think about what took place before that. And here's where I think that drivers come up short. When you're strategizing and when you make your opponent your buddy, I realize that there are teammates. I realize that Justin Ashley and Ant- Antron Brown have a common thread and they're friends. And I, I competed against uh, a brother, uh, uh, friends, uh, some close friends, some best friends. But I always separated. I was always able to separate the relationship, the friendship with the business. For me, I, I, that's what I did for a living. That's what I did as a profession. So I kind of took a different approach. And I realized that everyone, everyone has a different personality. They're going to they're do things differently. So I, I'm not saying I expect everyone to do it. Uh, like I did it, but I just can't understand the the conversation before because when you're racing floor wide, it's it's going to be awful hard to orchestrate who's going in because based on what Sean said, he had a conversation with uh, with Steve Torrance. Yeah, and and I watched the first round. Now Josh Hart does take his time staging, but as a driver, uh, you need to understand that, and you need to. Adjust uh, for that uh, as an individual, as a competitor. Uh, you know, in Funny Car, John Forrest is probably the best example. And by the way, this guy only has 16 championships. So people can knock him. They can talk about Cruz. They can talk about whoever they want to. They can talk about me the way I staged. But is it not about winning races? I mean, you're talking about money, you're talking about answering the sponsors. I just don't understand the the criticism or the critique about deep staging. Josh Hart rolls the car in more than anyone, but I I just don't understand when it became more about staging and all these connoisseurs of staging. (laughs) If you wanna flicker the light, then more power to you. I've never understood that. We've seen cars rock back because the idle and 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 in uh, red light. So I, if drivers want to take pride in just flickering that light, more power to you. You're going to get every bit of performance out of the car. But I, I can I can tell you, it stems from the way that drivers stage. And and can I tell you guys why drivers don't like other drivers deep staging, whether it's in top fuel or funny car? do You guys know the reason that other drivers don't like that. Go for it. It's embarrassing to lose on a hole shot. <laughs> That's it. It's not as hard as people think. It's, it's embarrassing. That is the toughest way that a driver can drive out of the track when he gets his butt kicked on a hole shot. It's easy when your car loses traction because you know who you can blame it on? You can blame it on the race track or you can blame it on the crew chief. But the driver is going to drive out of that track with a smile on his face and say, I did my job. So that's a little selfish. So I, I just, the way I look at it, it's about getting to the finish line. Josh Hart is entitled to drive and the stage however the heck he wants, as long as he does it within those seven seconds. The only guy that didn't do it within seven seconds was Sean Langdon. He apologized, I get it. I think the battle should wage on. I think they should own it. Um, I, am not saying to create a good guy and bad guy, but there, there should be some drivers that just say, look, this is the way that I drive. I don't care if you like it or if you don't like it. And you know, this happened to Steve Torrance a few years ago and Cameron for held him up on the starting line. There was a championship on the line. There was uh, a little altercation. It got physical. Um, I think it got physical because of what was at stake. Steve got fined. It wasn't right. I said it then. I'll say it again. Um, But, you know, hey, guys, this is high-stakes poker here, and things get heated, and I I just, you know, I, for one, I try to view this sport as entertainment. You know, I've, I've owned. I know what it's like to get caught up and to live in that bubble as a business. You know, you tend to want things that will help your business and that will help you as a driver. But, you know, in boxing, you have uh, offense and defense, but there are all these other intricacies that people may not really understand. A guy like Floyd Mayweather mastered them. Cause you can, you can hold, you can throw a flurry. You can, uh, you know, if you can't hit a guy with a jab, you can, can actually tap his, his, his hand that's defending his face. You can tap it out of the way and then you have your opening. So in our sport, all we have is staging, guys. That's the mental and the and the technique and and the you know the timing um, of what the driver does on the starting line. I don't want to see that taken away. I just would rather see these drivers own it um, and and do whatever it takes. And you know when we see it, we kind of play it up. We enjoy it. Um, but but we you know I think I think the end result is just you know get to the finish line ahead and and then you can worry about lane choice and and you know and and stroking your ego uh, you know after the fact.
0: I just like the fact that I like the fact that that there was some depth given to the situation in that like all of a sudden it exposed this underworld of of wait a second oh these guys actually do pay attention to each other they do understand some people are faster some people are slower because Kevin typically we talk about this process with like the fire up well one team will fire up because their routine is faster their routine is slower well at the end of the day once you fire the cars up all that kind of goes out the window. The whole fast or slow part then becomes almost out of your control and, and into the control of somebody else. So I liked the idea that this painted a much deeper picture than we typically see.
2: Yeah, and, and, and if you're if you're going to do this at a high level, if you're someone like Sean Langdon who's a hired driver, you're going to notice trends like that. Yeah. You're going to instinctively know after a while, who takes their time staging, who doesn't like to go in first, who does like to go in. You'll notice all those things. And if there's any way you can exploit that to gain an edge, it's incumbent upon you to to do it. Um, The the other thing that I I sort of wonder, I wonder how many fans watch uh, either live or on television that are now finally taking an interest in the staging process and, and paying a little closer attention to, to, to how it's done. I mean, it's been the hot topic here for the last couple of weeks, but but I think it's probably opened some eyes as to, yeah, th- th- this is a whole skill set that drivers have that a lot of fans have never even thought about um, to, to be able to stage properly and have an awareness of what your opponent's doing. Um, you know, obviously it's magnified during the four wide, um, you know, the ability to, to, to not get confused and, you know, look at the wrong tree, which we seem to see that at least, uh, w- once in event. Um, you know, th- those are all things that I think, um, sometimes people take for granted <laughs> and, uh, now it's, uh, you know, we've we shed some light on that and and I think it, it kind of goes to the skill set that makes a good driver. And, and that's one thing that I think, um, Tony Stewart had no idea, you know, when he started yeah. testing the top fuel car and then when he drove the alcohol car, he thought, wow, the, the process for just getting in the car, getting it fired, doing a burnout, getting it staged is so much more intricate than I ever thought it was um, I think that's part of what intrigues him, and part of why he suddenly becomes so in love with the sport.
0: Yeah, no, and of course, winning really, uh, winning really buries that hook even deeper than it already was in for for Stewart, which was a momentous thing uh, to to talk about. So, I want to stick with Top Fuel and talk about one guy before we go to Funny Car, and that's Antron Brown. And obviously, we saw Antron Brown have that just awesomely hellacious um, countdown last year, where his car was, you know, really starting in Topeka, going through the countdown last year. The thing was phenomenal. Austin Proc, we can kind of say the same thing about but Tony what did you see out of Antron in Las Vegas that should lead us to believe that uh, he is recovered to that to that really gnarly car that he had in the countdown
1: well Antron the one thing that you are guaranteed to get from Antron is you get a, a all-around driver uh, you've got a personality that that takes care of his business on the starting line occasionally you'll see a driver like Antron, even Sean Langdon. These are, these guys are among the best. They're among the quickest in top fuel and occasionally somebody will get the best of them. It doesn't, it happens less times than than it should because of of his ability. So you have a very well-rounded driver that is very consistent in his routine, that understands he has to be quick. He doesn't forget about car control. This guy knows how to feel the car when he gets in trouble. There's a few drivers that can save it. Antron Brown is one of those cars that understands how to feel the car, um, and and it shows. I, I think that Antron is capable of winning any time, and his car is good enough that we're going to see him in the late rounds a lot, and we're going to see drivers like Antron, like Jess and Ashley, like Langdon because Langdon has a car. He didn't really have the car last year. That car has seemed to, you know, pick up the pace, the performance. Um, and Steve Torrance. And we're going to see Doug Coletta. I mean, Josh Hart. We're going to see some of these guys mix it up. Leah has made big improvements uh, in in in, the, in terms of performance. But you know, Antron Brown is just—he's going to be one of those one of those mainstays in the late rounds. And any time that we see him get beat. Uh, we're going to see a cloud of white smoke because the car wasn't necessarily yeah. set up, or we're going to see a close race. So, um, you know, I think, that, uh, I think that Antron just put it together. And, you know, the driver I think that is knocking on the door is Steve Torrance. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't too far off. It was a very exciting, a close final round that we all witnessed, but I think that Steve Torrance wasn't that far off. Winning the race, and you know, still a little bit of a surprise that these cars just aren't running as quick. I think um, I think the the tuners are a little conservative, um, which I think is a good thing. It's providing close racing, but I, I think that that trend is going to change. It could change this weekend. You have a fast track when it doesn't rain. It's going to be cool if it doesn't rain when they get on the track. Uh, I think we're going to start to see a trend of. Of better performances
0: Kevin
2: Yeah You know A year ago The three of us Were on this show And you posed the question Which driver Most needs to get Their act together In the second half And I think We unanimously agreed Antron Brown And Lo and behold It wasn't more than A few races later Antron went out And won I believe it was Topeka Yep And um, You know Was poised For what we thought Was going to be A really solid run In the countdown that didn't happen, but it's hard to argue that that team didn't fix the issues that it had. Yeah, um, We know there was at least one mechanical problem that they fixed, and they've been good. Um, the, the win in Las Vegas was, was not a surprise at all, and you just get the feeling that, yeah, they're in this for the long haul, and they're going to be around at the end of the year. You know, It wouldn't surprise me. If when we get to Vegas and Pomona at the end of the year, there's four or five cars that are still fighting for the championship. That that seems really likely. And that is almost certain to be one of them. And um, to to your point about Torrance, uh, you know, he's got the points lead right now, even though it's slim. I don't think that car is going anywhere. Um, Hard to imagine they don't stick around top one, two, and three from here to the end of the countdown.
0: Yeah, I think that's accurate, and, and obviously Justin Ashley's got the back to back real race wins a little bit earlier in the year. Brittany's car has been okay, but nothing uh, nothing over the top. So this weekend could be a watershed moment for that team as well. I want to transition to Funny Car, and you know, in, in the world that we're living in here in 2023. You know, Matt Hagan racking up these wins and winning these races with a mid three nineties funny car is maybe not what I would have had written down. I, I might have had Matt winning some races, but I probably would have had him winning these races with a car that was running three eighties, Tony. But they have they have proven themselves in a level of uh, performance consistency, both in the driver's seat and the tune-up, that they are not going to go out there and try to get more than the racetracks willing to give them. And lo and behold, it's worked.
1: It's it's the Chad Green approach, but with just a quicker car, and, and it's it, it's 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 just as consistent. And you know, like Top Fuel, I think all of our expectations uh, because of what we saw at the last race of the year, and we saw you know Cruz and what he his team did, and you know, there's so many things that play into the performance of these cars, and you know, the tuners they're they're on the racetrack, they're reading the conditions, they can see it a lot better than we can see it, um, but. You know you can't argue with the fact that they're knocking down wins so they're only going to push as hard as they need to um i think that that will change when when caps uh you know wilkerson seems to be running better they don't really have the performance but i think the next wins are going to come from a bob casca or cruz um uh, maybe even john i think that john could could sneak one in there um, you know, Alexis. Those are those are probably the next drivers that are going to win. You know, besides Hagen, I think we fully expect for Caps and Robert Height to be there, um, always in the late rounds. But you know, I think there's going to be some teams that are going to sneak in there. And uh, and start start getting into those late rounds and and start getting into the winner circle.
0: Kevin, Tony, and I have been beating the drum on uh, re reinvigorating, um, exhuming. However, going to say that the idea of NHRA power rankings, every sport has them, and they present great conversations. And some people say, well, we have them. It's called the points, but it really, to me, the points don't tell the story. R- consider this: Matt Hagen's car, on average is not the first lowest uh, average elapsed time in Funny Car on Sundays this year. Not the second, not the third, not the fourth. He is the qu- the fifth quickest car on average on Sundays when you look at all his elimination runs. And yet, he is leading the points uh, by more than 20 over caps. And he is, if you look at the numbers, on average, a tenth off the pace of the quickest car in the category, which is Alexis DeGiorgius.
2: Yeah, which sort of tells you how misleading stats can sometimes be. Um, You know, you have to factor into that that Matt is arguably the best driver in the class. Uh, He rarely misses the tree. (laughs) That works in his favor. And, you know, I think you also need to look at conditions. And, you know, I think they pushed that car as hard as it needs to be pushed. Now, maybe there's been a race or two this year where they were a little slower than conditions dictated but happened to get away with it. Um, that, that probably skews the average a little bit. Um, I mean, power rankings is a good thing, but boy, it's really hard to pinpoint a formula that's accurate. Uh, when, especially this time of year, when you have such a small sampling of, you know, you, you've only got four aces, um, you know, that being said, if, if you do Matt Hagen championship in your office pool right now, w- would you not be thrilled?
0: <laughs> I'd be very thrilled. But again, we saw we saw a little this last year, though. Those guys those guys were very strong early, and then they went into the doldrums of the summer, and, and that, to me, is going to be the big litmus test.
2: Well, g- give me right now what you're calling the fifth best car <laughs> in the class. I'll happily take it all the way to the finish line.
0: Tony, when we I think, I think, go for it. I, I'm sorry, Brian. I think we're missing
1: something here, Kevin. I think the power ranking was never intended for the driver. It wasn't intended for the team to be happy. It was it was for the sport. It was for what do we need more than anything? We talk about this potential profit share with racers. What moves the needle? Money, money, and what? You what? Uh, okay, okay. let's let's go back. Let's go back another step. How do how do the racers get the money? I'll tell you how they get the money. They get the money when the rating is over a million viewers. That gets sponsors attention, and and so we need we need new viewers. We need. N- people, we need to expose them. We need to continue to market it, um, to put it in front of them. So, so they can tune in because we all know that once we can get them to a drag race, they're, they're hooked, they're in, but it's getting them, it's getting them there and getting them there on TV is, is much more of a challenge because you know it's like watching tennis. They can't feel it. They can't smell it. So the, the power ranking was intended to provide to our, um, the majority of, of the new audience, a figure, a number, like a quarterback rating, like a, what What did they do in the four two? We have that, that's a reaction time. So if this was never intended to please the driver, but it got shot down because, because people, drivers in particular, and they know who the hell they are, they get their feelings hurt. Why? Because they, they, we weren't doing as good. Well, then do better. Don't you want more people tuning in? Because here's what makes me Here sick. What makes me sick is when <laughs> when I see an NFL power ranking, I see MLB, I see soccer, and I don't even watch soccer, but when I see the power ranking, I look to see, wow, who are the good teams? We see it in every flipping sport, but we don't have it. You know why we don't have it? Because it got shot down by the drivers because they got their little boo-boo feelings hurt, and we should have it, guys. We should have it because we need new people tuning in. And if I'm tuning into something, I want to know, I want to know who the big dogs are. When I go to, when you go to the grocery store, what is, what is the farthest back of the store? The most demanded things that, that people want. They want the milk and the eggs, right? Where do they put those in the grocery store? Way the hell in the back. When you go to the zoo, you don't go to the zoo to see the little penguins. I don't go to see the, the little the little ferrets because I can go in my backyard and see them. But you got to go way in the back to see the silverback gorillas and the tigers and the lions. And when I see a power ranking, I just want that to give me an idea of who's on top. And and I just think it's a shame that we don't have it. I think we should bring it back. It's not to appease the driver. It's not to appease the tuner, it's strictly and solely to give our audience, our fans, an idea of who is doing good, who the good cars are, who the good drivers are, because it's a combination. It's just a formula that we're trying to come up with to provide a ranking to our fans, not to the to crew chief or the sponsor or anyone else. And, and if it's not good enough,
2: just like in any sport, guess what you got to do? You got to do better. Well, this goes, this goes back to the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago, about the possibility of a reality TV show where yes, drivers and team owners and crews are going to need to park their feelings at the door and you're going to have to take some heat to do this and make it work. But yeah, I tend to agree with your point that um, we could certainly use this and you know, like the TV show, it needs to be brutally honest. And um, you know, if it forces a driver to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm, I'm not getting the job done or I need to be better. Well, then so be it.
0: And look, I think the the, the microcosm example to me on the, on this front is right now your top three in Funny Car, which are Hagen, Caps, and DeJuria. So you can look and say, OK, well, Lexus has the quickest car on average on Sundays with her, her Sunday run average. She's third in the points. Caps has one of the slowest cars on average on Sunday, but he has a, the quickest reaction time in the category. He's second. Hagen has a car that's in the middle with a great reaction time, and he's first. But if you combine the superpowers of all three of these things, you have something that's unstoppable. So, you know, you can say, you can look down the line and say, you know, cars like Height, Tasca, uh, Chad Green's flirting with it, of being on average quicker than Hagen or are, are beneath him, but he's got the pieces put together, whereas, you know, he's averaging a 66 light, Alexis is averaging 98. You know, these are things we can all weigh and balance. And yes, the points tell one story, but I uh, to, to Tony's point and, and to your point, Kevin, when you get in there and start to really look at stuff, uh to me it it, it makes it an even greater conversation. And and yes, these are conversations that aren't like always the happiest conversations. And that was what we talked about with Langdon, where he's like, Hey, you know, it's makes it's good for the sport, but it really sucks to be the guy everybody's talking about. And he's right. But, he's absolutely
1: yeah. right. The other thing that drivers pick apart is reaction time. They say, oh, well, he deep stages, he rolls in. You know, who cares? It's all relative, guys. Part of the formula is reaction time, but the other part is car, the car's performance. Yeah. So we're going to factor in those two. We're also going to factor in, um, you know, success rate and all these other things. And, and it's, it's just like a quarterback rating. There's so many things that go into it. Now, are we searching for the right formula? Yes, but don't pick apart the reaction time and don't criticize a guy for rolling it in because everybody does. Why they don't do it in top fuel more, I don't know. But They must not wanna win races, but who cares about the driver's reaction time? Guys, it's about getting to the finish line and lighting up that light bulb. That magic light is a win or it's a loss. And, and the rating, the power ranking was, it was all these numbers and we were I think in search of the right formula but I know the driver was singling out the reaction time and saying no that's that's not accurate because this guy does this and we don't it doesn't matter drivers what matters is we should have that number and uh, I hope I hope that uh, I hope we can sell it again we okay. actually sold it it was a sponsored it was, item it was a there sponsored was a company, item
0: it was there was a company
1: that was paying for it but the drivers I don't think they 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 didn't see you know the forest through the trees. I, I just think they were a little short-sighted. Just give it another chance.
0: All right. So one last topic before we close this thing up is is going to be the weather. We have to bring it up. Uh, forecast is looking a little wacky. Certainly Friday not looking that great. Saturday looks okay. Sunday eh, it seems like it's in the afternoon, which when we're, we're going to be racing anyway. But I just want a quick take on qualifying approach. Whether it's whether it's the pro stock categories or the nitro categories, Tony, you first, when a crew chief, a team rolls into town and looks at what this is, how does that change what they're going to do for the first hit in the racetrack?
1: Well, we know it's a good racetrack. The surface is, uh, is among the best. And the weather pretty much dictates the car's performance. Um, you know, So my first thought is, well, we're going to have cooler conditions that uh, are, are going to be inducive to seeing quick times uh the problem is is you know the teams are going to look at let's say that if it rains friday that means they're only going to get two runs so they may have a tendency to pull back and that's a challenge for them because if they pull back in cool conditions when that track is tight you know it's going to be hard to just back the car up and try to run a a 390 if you're a, a 395 if you're a funny car so i think we can anticipate quick times i think in pro stock bike the track record will be broken. If we had four sessions, I would say that, yeah, yeah, there's going to be some top fuel teams and funny car teams that are going to be shooting to break the track record, not just to break the track record, but to earn the points, to get the number one spot, to get the, you know, the preferred matchup that you want in the first round. But, um, you know, the conditions are what they are. I'm sure that the NHRA has plan A, B and C, but you know, when we get to the track, we're all going to be asked, "What do you think about the weather?" And uh, I'm I'm going to run and hide because it is what it is, and it may or may not rain, and
2: we'll see some track time—that's for certain.
0: Kevin, take us home. Uh, you, you know, you've got
2: big fields. Uh, you know, especially the 23 Pro Stock cars. It, it makes it an even bigger wild card if you happen to only get two sessions. Um, you know, which seems—I mean, I try to be optimistic. You know, we've all seen weather forecasts that are wrong. Uh, It might move out of there and we might get four runs in and everybody's happy. But, um, you know, you can never count on that sort of thing. So, I, 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 you know, tend to agree with Tony that, you know, if you're a crew chief, you've got this, you know, quandary on your hands. Do you back off a little bit to make sure it goes down the track? Well, then you might not qualify. Uh, Or if you're too aggressive and you spin the tires... You know, you might suffer the same fate. Uh, I think you probably will see drivers who knock the tire loose stay with it. Yeah. Um. You know, just to try to post an ET that that, that hopefully holds up. Um. You know, you, you would probably see a little of that in the first one or two qualifying runs, but um. You know, again, if if you're looking at it strictly from entertainment value, uh, it, it's it's going to be hard to beat. I mean, nobody likes rain, but uh, you make the best of it, and here we are
0: boys thank you very much for taking the time today it's going to be an exciting weekend uh, unpredictable weekend as we can assume here as always with the four wide racing we're going to be watching the weather going to be watching staging going to be watching these young riders in pro stock motorcycle going to be watching who in and who's out in pro stock and we didn't have time for pro mod which is going to be a whole different kettle of fish and that uh, has its own sub storyline kevin put a great story up on nhra.com you should read that story it'll set up the weekend perfectly for you we have 21 pro mods that's a class that's back on the rise All kinds of stuff going on, but boys, I have to leave because I got to go catch a plane to go curling. I'm going curling with the Toyota guys tonight in Charlotte.
1: Can we get a power ranking on the the
0: the the amount of time the amount of time my ass is going to spend on the ice? Yeah, that's I'm going to I'm going to lead the (laughs) league. I guarantee you, I will lead the league in that. I want a power ranking on who you're competing with, so I, I can all right. Uh, I so know it's so it's me. So I, it's, I
2: want to know your your prior knowledge of curling before this week.
0: Listen, I watched about 100 hours of YouTube videos, and that's all I got going on. It's me, Justin Ashley, J.R. Todd, and Sean Langdon taking on uh, taking on Tyler Reddick, uh, John Hunter Nemechek, Ty Gibbs, and Bubba Wallace tonight at the Charlotte Curling Club. You'll be able to see it on any on NASCAR Race Hub and during our show. Good luck. I'll be watching. See, See you out there. See you, boys. <laughs> Stick around. I'll be right back with my final thoughts. And I'm back here with some final thoughts on this pre-Charlotte episode of the NHRA Insider. Always fired up. Always great chat with those two guys and looking forward to those storylines we talked about, whether it's in Pro Stock Motorcycle with the young riders, whether it's Matt Smith with the updated bodywork and cases, whether it is Pro Stock Car with 23 entries, whether it is the weather that could throw a monkey wrench and all this stuff, the starting line stuff going on in Nitro Funny Car and Top Fuel, who's going to perform, who isn't. So much to talk about, so much to show you starting live Friday night on FS1 at 7 p.m. with qualifying. We have qualifying show on Sunday at noontime, and then we have our race day show following the stock car race on Sunday afternoon. It is going to be great. There will be coverage of our curling adventure coming in this show, as well as on NASCAR Race Hub. You can watch that on FS1. There will also be coverage, hopefully, of NASCAR Night at the Drag Strip on Thursday night at ZMAX Dragway. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for watching and or listening to the NHRA Insider. And for those of you watching, I promised you a wardrobe change, and now you got it. We'll be back next week with another show after the Charlotte Circle K four-wide nationals to talk about another big event happening in Indy. That'll be next weekend. I'll be going to that one, too, but we'll wait to tell that story until we get there. Thanks for watching watching. Thanks for listening. I'll see you at CMAX Dragway.